Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast with your hosts, Brian Lee and Justin Peterson. Hello, friends. On today's episode, we discuss the Mesa di Voce exercise, which is a favorite of Justin's and mine. Please forgive my slightly subpar audio as I was recording from my location in Florida for this episode. We have a lot to say. Well, you know, I just thought this would be a good way to kind of just go through the go through it, talk about it, maybe what it is, how do you use it, what are some strategies, you know, because I think a lot of times people think about the Mesa di Voce, well, and I know people don't exercise on it, they don't do it, you know, it's it's not an exercise that people readily go, oh yeah, sure, let me do it. Mainly because it sort of lays everything bare, right? It, to me, it lays everything bare in a vocal technique. <laughs> because your ability to sing loud and soft and back again, or vice versa, I mean, that shows a lot of control and skill of the voice. So I think a lot of people, you know, it, it can sort of show weakness. And who likes to do vocal exercises that show off or demonstrate any kind of technical weakness? So first of all, I wanted to define it. You know, we this is and this is sort of where I go off on my little tangent. But the exercise of of messa di voce comes from the Italian word mettere, which means to place or to put. Now, there's a lot of argument about this, right? Because people yeah. say, yeah. "Oh, it's about placement of the voice," and I think it, people interpret pa- placement in some ways as locale, like a specific location where you place the voice. Mm-hmm. My thinking is this: I think placement in the way that I personally have adopted it, is the idea that everything is in place. So, for example, if a table has been well-placed or well-set, we would say, oh, the placing of the table looks very nice, right? So, to me, the Mesa di Voce is a way to sort of check in on the condition overall of the voice, Mm -hmm. mainly because you're putting the voice through all of its paces. Ingo Tizza actually lists, believe it or not, lists this as one of his top five warm-ups yeah. uh, mainly because it gets everything in the voice going from the closure of the glottis the, the stretch of the pitch and the changing lung pressures so the voice has to sort of cope with a lot of changing variables while maintaining the pitch while maintaining the the trueness of the intonation so it's a rich i mean it's a rich vast um at world to live in as an exercise and there's so many ways of doing it but my Before my personal talk about yeah go ahead actual go ahead. exercise well i want to just say about the term so so the the mesa part that has something to do with place in italian one thing that i i want to really highlight is that in the descriptions of the exercise in throughout the all the ages all the ages in which they talk about that exercise the scope of of what that exercise is never has anything to do with sympathetic resonances. So nowadays, a lot of people, you know, associate the word placement with um, a certain kind of resonance strategy Mm -hmm. in the voice. And that was never mentioned, not even really hinted at. They did not talk about like, like uh, feeling vibrations in the nose or any of that. None of that, this exercise, as we get into it, as we'll see, might lead to an optimal resonance, but it, yeah. but they never talk about it as creating a resonance per se. Right. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, Go and ahead. then of course where this train where this goes in the placement of a training, 
for a singer has been up for debate as well. You know, do we start singers on this? Do we make, do we end singers on this? Where in the range should we do this? Certain people say, well, you should do it in this particular part of the range. You shouldn't, you know, do it there, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of, <laughs> are you surprised? There's a lot of, you know, argumentation about, you know, uh, the particulars of, of the usage of this exercise, uh, which mm -hmm. we obviously could go into detail about, because that would be a whole like diatribe. Um, so let's talk about it. You know, for you, Brian, how do you use it? What's your, what's your, when did the process, do you use the Messe Voce? Do you start out right away? Is it intermediate? Do you think of it as, as an advanced exercise? I know there's a lot of talk about this. So what's your take? Have we defined, I mean, I, for most people listening, probably oh. don't need a definition, but let's define the classical, you know, the classic definition of it. Yeah. As, uh, 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 starting a tone relatively softly, swelling it to a fuller tone, and then diminishing that tone back to a softer one again. That would yep. be one Simple. way to describe. Yeah. So the idea of crescendo, diminuendo on a single tone in the voice. And uh, we can talk about how that was conceived of and how it was notated uh, a little later. But um, that's that's the basic definition of mm -hmm. the Mesa di Voce exercise as described in many voice texts. So in my own teaching, it's always in back of mind, like from the beginning in exercises, I, I, I kind of always am that it's always back there as something to prepare for. Mm -hmm. So um, it is it's is, it's a very difficult thing to do perfectly and beautifully. But it also is poised at the very beginning as the first exercise in so many methods. And it's like, yeah. how can that be that they put the most difficult thing first? So that'll be fun for us to get into. <laughs> but I like to kind of, there's a lot of things I do in exercises that prepare a student for that. So I have a kind of a way of breaking it down um, from, from fairly early on. Um, you know, we talk about, like with registers, we've talked about how can there be a blend of registers if the registers aren't there to begin with. Same way with Mesa de Voce, going from soft to loud or loud to soft, we have to have one of those poles to start with, and then we have to get the other end of the spectrum available so that there's some concept in the singer of what is soft for me, what is louder for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have, so sometimes I'll divide it like I'll start very bifurcated with, okay, we're going to sing this exercise softly and we're going to sing this exercise loud. And mm. then I'll talk about what kind of sounds are easy to make soft, what are easy to make loud. All of that is a background that kind of builds up to eventually being able to take one note on one vowel through many dynamics in one utterance. But that's often, I find I do like the classic exercise of whole notes or whatever on soft, loud, soft, I don't introduce it that way right away. How about mm -hmm. you? Well, so I take, first of all, I think that the Messe di Voce is a limitless exercise in, in, mm -hmm. the in the sense of how it can be done. And yeah. I think about, there's a book called Misurgia or Misurgia, Misurgia Vocalis that was written in the 1800s by a guy named Isaac Nathan. And yes. he has a whole page devoted yep. to sort of um, images of different varieties and forms of the Messe di Voce. So it isn't sort of this one idea 
Uh, and I have found that to be helpful because even a little yes. beginner, I might do little swells and diminishes. So it does yeah. not have to be this ginormous, you know, thing, no. but it can yeah. be varied in many different ways. And, and a yeah. student can get lots of different experiences singing with maybe a long crescendo and a short diminuendo or a short crescendo and a long diminuendo. So there's many ways that you can go about this um, uh, functionally. And a beginner, and I personally believe, based on what I can, what I know of the older texts, they almost all started with long tones. Almost every single yes. exercise that that any any of these vocal pedagogy books have uh, yes. start with a long note. Now, in my world, in my view, based on the extant materials, I think that's how they taught breathing. In other words, you know, you taught a singer how to sing a long tone by having them sing long tones, and provided again that their phys physical alignment did not alter. So they would monitor these students and sing one note over a period of time to yeah. gain stability of the pitch and stability of the breath and, and sort of what we would say, you know, vo voice teacher speak, you know, connecting the breath to the vocal cords, getting yeah. everything sort of hooked up. But it yeah. wasn't long-winded breath exercises and they didn't do all of these weird calisthenic, you know, things. It was learning to do it by, by singing long tones, by having them yeah. work on long tones as a first principle, as a first exercise. Now, I have, to have to I have to confess, I don't do that all the time with students, but I might from time to time go slowly with them on different things. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of Mesa di Voce, it does, the reason that it's so challenging is that the, the system of the cricothyroids, which are the muscles that stretch the vocal folds, yeah. And the arytenoids, which are the muscles that shorten and tense the vocal cords, have or vocal folds, whatever, have to be worked in such a way that that sort of binary um, function, chest head, chest head, right, can yep. can subtly be turned on. I often call it the dimmer switch. That's my term for it. Well, that's a where, great term. Yeah. You know, you if you start quietly, for example, and then yeah. you get louder, it's sort of like you're dimmer switching on more mass on the vocal fold. Yes. And then gradually turning that dimmer switch off. Mm -hmm. And certain singers, depending on their technical prowess, will have more difficulty with the first part of the exercise or the second part of the exercise. Yeah. But I also think that the Messi de Voce can be a sign into the balance of the registration because it totally. can tell you a lot about which register is a little bit more dominant or uh, uh, less, less exercised. So it can be a great way to, as a diagnostic. It can be a great diagnostic tool to just sort of see how things are going. But, you know, simple is better in my world. A beginner student, I would never make them even hold it more than a, a measure. They might just have four beats and do something and then just play with it. And at the beginning, it may be very wah-wah-ish. Yeah. So it may be very wah-wah, kind of like that. I don't mind. They're learning how to do something. So, you know, as yeah. they do it and they play with it more and more, they'll get um, uh, more technically advanced on it but that's sort of how i kind of come about it um mm -hmm. because the challenge is when you're soft the vocal folds are stretched to a particular pitch and are not thick and as you get louder the vocal cords will thicken well guess yeah. what you have to do that in balance so that you don't lose the pitch because the yeah. pitch can often go awry if the process is not smoothly uh handled so right. it's very subtle laryngeal mechanism um, behaviors here um, yeah. 
and I also do like vowels. We could talk about which vowels we use. I, I, I think every vowel, obviously, we want to sing every vowel on a Messi di Voce. For mm-hmm. some students who are beginners, it can be easier to get the sense of the Messi di Voce with more closed vowels at the beginning and the end yes. of the exercise and then opening yeah. the vowel in the middle so that right. they get a real sense of acoustic sort of bang for their buck as they get a little bit louder and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. and then sort of doing it over one vowel. So like like e ah or a ah those kinds of things a i a or e i e can be very very helpful. Do you, or do you ever do multiple vowels in one note? Uh, for more advanced students, I would. Yeah, sometimes yeah. for the advanced students, when when we've had when they've been with me for a while, and so they understand that oh you're you have closed vowels and open vowels and what those are the ones closed by the tongue like mm-hmm. e a right. And then you have the ones closed by the lips, oh, ooh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so sometimes I'll introduce the idea of uh, uh, a messa di voce type of thing just on vowels. So keeping, not trying to change the volume. What mm. happens if you sing the vowels in order uh, from most closed to most open? Ooh, oh, ah, mm-hmm. What happens with that, you know? Um, does it does it seem to get what more louder, more brilliant, more more carrying, more what does it do? And what what's easier is you know what's easier to hold as a long note, a, a little yeah. ooh or a big old ah. <laughs> and um, those all help. The other thing that that you mentioned that uh, with registration, the link to registration, is as they are advancing especially when they're obsessed with range, like most of them are, um, I tell them their high notes are going to get easier based on if their medium high notes mm. have a dynamic range. So if, you know, they can sing to a fourth space E and F isn't so good yet, um, you know, I'll say, you know, if you get so that you can do a really soft, loud, soft on D and E flat, your F is going to come in better and better. And, um, that usually happens so quickly when they get with the program that they're on board with it. <laughs> you know, the other thing, too, I have to say, and, and sort of coattailing what you just said, I often find, too, in the Messi di Voce that the student really figures out where the most free borders are between loud yes. and soft. And that is so good for them to learn about their voice. Because oftentimes the loudness that many, let's say, classical singers, for, for just an example, sing with is a loudness with manipulation and a lot of constriction. And so if that loudness cannot get quieter, that is not really a good forte, in my, opi- so in my opinion. Yeah. You know, that every, every, every soft note has to have the potential of loudness, and every yeah. loud tone has to have the potential of softness in it. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And if they yeah. don't, then that's not about, then, then that instrument is not, that voice is not balanced. Because yeah. you can't get out of it. You're, you're stuck. You can't get out of loud. You can't get out of soft. Right. Both I would consider to be technical faults. Mm-hmm. You know? The other thing, too, is that one of, the, one of the sort of, oh, I guess the benefits that comes along with this Messa di Voce is, it, is a, a, commanding, uh, a command of the breath control, right? Because yeah. of the changing contours of the, the laryngeal musculature and its resistance to the air give the student over time a feeling of resistance or support or suspension and Mm -hmm. better management of the phrase and the breath but it's because again in my world because of what the vocal folds are doing that creates the breath management it's not the other way around yeah Yeah. um 
Obviously, you know, the other benefit of it is smooth register blending. Like I said, that dimmer switch, that ability to go from mm-hmm. uh, a thin registra- thin vocal fold to a thicker vocal fold. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, you know, again, dynamic flexibility without pushing, without pushing. It yep. can really, a mezzo di voce can really take push out of the voice in a big way. I have way. a saying that says what you do to go from loud to soft is very similar to what you do to go from low to high. Ooh, say more about that. So, so when, when I, that's when I, when I have introduced the idea that loud singing is based on thicker folds. And when we're doing soft singing on the same pitch, it's thinner folds. I say that's similar to the change that happens when we have to go up in pitch because the folds, when they are stretched, become thinner. Mm. So go, staying on one volume and singing a higher note without getting louder is very similar to the muscular coordination and discipline of staying on the same note and going from loud to softer. Oh, I love that. And that's how you get like you were, you know, what just talking about the easier high notes, the high yes. notes that are not from force and muscle, from, yes. from force and pressure. They're from the right kind of muscle movement. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're and you're gradually drawing that muscle into action over a period of time rather than forcing it in or pushing it in. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. it's. You know, the pitch stability, too, is such an interesting thing. You know, when someone gets louder and they flatten, right? Like, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll go, and then all of a sudden they add in the chest register, the thicker mechanism, and suddenly yeah. the pitch begins to uh, waver and go south. And I always tell students, I said, well, in the tug of war, the chest register won, right? Because yes. the chest register, in pulling those two, you know, pulling the vocal folds to center, causes that pitch to flatten a little bit. So that's the that's the real challenge and that's why that upper register, the head voice mode two, whatever you want to call it, I don't care, um, has to be well innervated and developed so that the mechanism can hold while that chest register is being added to it and not yeah. fall apart and not fall apart. Yeah. You know, talk about it as an evaluation tool, though, for yourself. Like, do you use it as an evaluation tool? Do you? Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, especially with uh, you know intermediate and advanced folks, I do use it as an evaluation tool. And I have a couple different ways of doing it. I mean, I can, I, usually we can tell pretty quickly, can't we, about how flexible a voice is, you know, how, whether it seems to be able to do upper notes loud or soft, you know, whether it has any kind of variability there. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll do it in, uh, like easier ways, especially so, so much of this reminds me of, you know, instruments I've studied because I have a strong instrumental background and in um, wind playing, for example, long tones are a foundational thing. You start Mm. with long tones because the ability to play a long tone evenly is the basis for, for, you know, all legato. And when you start, you know, moving your fingers fast and changing notes fast and moving over with pitch, you know, you come back to long tones for the idea of stability and and continuation, mm-hmm. and not just a series of sounds. You know, and in in a, in fact, in Suzuki violin teaching, uh, Doctor Suzuki invented this word called tonalization. Mm-hmm. And what it was is, uh, you know, those little Suzuki kids—they learn tunes early on by ear, right? But 
after book one, especially, they introduce it toward the end of book one, this thing called tonalization, which is long tones. And mm. they, they start with tones where uh, things will ring easily. So you start with uh, open string notes with no fingers down. And then you start to put a finger down and play a whole note on a note that'll make another string ring. Mm. And that helps you with listening skills. It helps you with making that fingered note perfectly in tune. So an example, this might be um, you have uh, on the violin, on, if you play first finger on the G string, you get the note A. If the first finger is perfectly placed and you play a long A on the G string, it'll make your A string hum. And this is something that you can both uh, hear and see on the violin. And so it's a reinforcement of, of proper placement, there's that word again, of mm -hmm. the first finger. Mm -hmm. And then later that is used for all kinds of uh, tuning of not just individual notes, but chords when you get into your double stops and everything. So, so it's there in the wind world too. And in uh, voice, you know, the sort of how it shows us what's going on is kind of similar. Hmm. I mean, we listen to the intonation of it. We see if there's any intonation trends in the loud and soft parts. Or is the loud and soft both okay, but the part in the middle is weird? Yeah. yeah. That can happen. Also, um, also, it makes me, what also, it's, um, does the, the integrity of the vowel change oh, from, yeah. you know? Yeah. Does this is the, huge in Cornelius Reed stuff. Yeah. Do, does it? Yeah. Does the does the vowel distort as it's going mm -hmm. from loud to soft or soft to loud? I mean, that mm -hmm. is some information about what the throat is doing, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of you know interference, perhaps as you get yeah. you know the the contours of the of the of the intensity there. Yeah. yeah. Now let's talk yeah. about practice time. Practice Great. time for Messi Voce. Yeah. Is this. What do you think? Every day, once a week. What do you, what's your take? So after they're with me for a while, I will have one exercise at least. My hope is that what we do in the first part of the lesson with the exercises, I say, listen to this at home and either sing along with it or sing after it. But do these, you know, do these exercises at home, please, at least mm, once in a while. Mm, mm. Pretty please. And so <laughs> at least one of them will have something to do with this stuff. Um, and if it's preparatory, my favorite preparatory thing to do, sort of with all ages, is singing singing a long note, but with pulses in it. Oh, okay. So, so I'll do, like if I want to do an easy safe vowel, I'll do it on O. But if I do it on A, ah, we'll have like a whole note. And I'll have them just sing an A ah that has has little accents inside it. Ah, and like what I just did, there is a little bit of pitch variation. So mm -hmm. when I did the, the little accent, it was a little flat sharp, flat sharp, flat sharp. So so um, I start to get them to listen that way. And just making just making a pulse, sometimes if that's really screwed up, I will start with separate notes that later are going to lead to that pulse. So mm -hmm. I might have them go, ah, 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 or ha, ha, ha. And then I play with taking the space away. Ah, and then I say, okay, let's slow down the pulse. Ah, ah, ah. Your dimmer switch. I mean, that's it. I'm yeah. going to steal that because that's great. 
You can well, you know, because it is. I mean, you're taking basically what is an on-off, right, in the yeah. registration and turning yeah. it from on-off into a dimmer switch. Yeah. And I would say that the the success of the okay in in uh, opinions incoming, I would say that the success of the message voce like voce does depend upon the register development. Sure. Completely. Yep. You know, yep. if there's a lot of chest in a voice, that message yep. voce is going to be really hard to to manage and a, a voice with a lot of head voice in it may not be able to get very loud so yeah. it, you know the extent or the success of it really does sort of show what's going on again at the level of the vocal folds and what the yeah. situation is in the voice and, and um you know i think you know how much time this is i do think it's an, an exercise that's boring by and large absolutely it's you know it's... <laughs> it's bare bones. Yeah, it's boring and it's not flashy. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I think in the the if thinking about the average undergraduate, <laughs> you know, I don't know that they're going to sit around and really devote the time to something like this, like this kind of an exercise regularly. You know, or just even getting the discipline to just sort of do it on a regular basis. Uh, basis. Well, if someone's getting ready for an audition, here's here's. Here, Here's a strategy that I would do for someone who's not going to do Mesa de Voce, who's yeah. not, you know, not of that, not ready Ilk. to deal with it. <laughs> but auditions make people work, you know. Yeah. And so a lot of times, one thing that's related to it is to, to have um, like a phrase that's in middle voice, uh, somewhere in the middle of their range, that's an important phrase in their in their audition and have them sing it at multiple dynamic levels. And and rather than saying dynamic levels, uh, make it more like an acting exercise. Yes. So, so you have like a, a, a phrase, um, like, uh, I can't do this anymore, let's say. And so that could be very loud and declamatory. That could be pleading. That could be um, resigned. That could be defiant. Those will, of course, tend to elicit different dynamics. And um, so that kind of thing is a way. So same notes, different volume levels. You know, yes. you're getting a piece of that message function. If they can really sell it both ways, then light bulbs come on about flexibility in the voice. You know? yeah. I also am a big fan of the, I use a, a numbering system from zero to 10. And and you can use it for all different types of things vocally. I mean, it doesn't you know it can lend itself to many different things. Mm -hmm. From what you're saying, though, I, you could almost assign a numerical number to uh, a phrase, right? So with zero being you know pianississimo, and then you know ten being fortississimo, and then everything else in between, and then yeah. sort of assigning number values to the phrases and saying, okay, well, let's do this one at four. Let's do the next phrase at seven. Let's do the next one at six or next one at two. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be a playful thing, right, to allow students to do the, the dynamic yes. play. And they can see, oh, that, does that work or does it not work? I mean, even in play, oh, boy. I am so for gamification. I am yeah. on board with that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. even in the play, a person might find a better uh, a better artistic um decision or may reach a better decision about what they want to do i use this a lot with my musical theater students and i know we're kind of tangenting here but i'll use this a lot with the the dichotomy between speaking and singing oh, so okay i'll put 10 
on a, on, a, on a piece of paper and say, okay, that's full tilt boogie singing. Now we are singing here. And on mm -hmm. the other side is zero, which is just plain old talking. And what I love to do with my students in the musical theater realm is to have them sort of go back and forth in the, in the middle range where they're sort of talking, but they're sort of singing and finding where are the moments be, where they really can lean on the voice more in a singing sense and where they can sort of back off and be more speak singing. And like once that. they start to do that, then they're like, wow, this is like what the professionals do. <laughs> do. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because yeah. yeah, it is because you can't sing eight shows a week uh singing full tilt 10 all all day you know you there's got to be some leeway where you and and many the style of many musical theater songs today contemporary musical theater is such that they start off like this and they're not really singing there's some yes. indication of pitch but there's nothing yeah. really there and then slowly the voice starts to get more singy you know and so yes. it picks up this sort of it really, to me, is the exact same thing of the recitative and the aria, you know, Absolutely. where you have the people going, you know, caro mio figaro, non we're chatting, 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 and then we're singing. So musical theater still carries out with it today, but that's that's very tangent. Well, so. I think with both of those stage singers, that makes total sense. Where I find people in straight jackets is my choir singers. Oh, say how? Tell me how. Well, choral singers never conceive of what they're doing as any kind of speech which is oh, unfortunate okay. because they could gain a little bit more, uh, you know, understanding of the music and I feel and, and possibilities for interpretation and thinking mm. about, well, what is the conductor trying to get at if they would work with the words more? Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. But, but uh, I find know, that very true. I do. I find that very true. I think that we, the choral singer in my experience is more tonal based than text based. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tend much. to be more for pitch and, and, and legato than actual expression of text. Now, on the plus side, they are motivated by the Mesa di Voce because they are asked to sing dynamic extremes uh, a lot. Yeah. If, it, yeah. if it's a decent choir um, or a crazy conductor, one or, and or the <laughs> other, they will be asked to sing a much wider dynamic range yeah. than a soloist may be asked to sing in a show. Um, so, so that, you know, a lot of them come in and that's like a number one, they, they want to say, Oh my God, this, this, uh, this choral piece sits around E, F and G at the top of the staff or a tenor. And oh. I'm just worn out because, because the conductor keeps shushing us all the time. How do I do it? Um, or, uh, and same way as sopranos. Uh, so it's, a, a it's very interesting, um, that they're they're on board with sort of the instrumental aspect of the Mesa di Voce exercise, but I love their idea of going from small to big to small in other ways besides just volume. That's really cool. Yeah, I found it very helpful, and I, I think yeah. especially for my younger singers who are very let's maybe that's they've they've come in to work with me as a coach and maybe they've sung with voice teachers and voice teachers have been very very much centered on legato, right? Well, right. legato is beautiful, but in musical theater of the modern day, it only exists in certain places and certain sections of a of a song, right. because yes. it, otherwise it doesn't sound does not sound stylistically correct. It's it doesn't sound um, like what's going on on Broadway. Um, and so, what I have to do is with these students, I have to sort of break them back into the textual 
And the best way to do it for me is to put those things on a spectrum or on a numerous num- numeral yeah, system. That's really cool. And be like, okay, now here you're talking. Now, and, and they need to play with it because some of them have never been given permission to just sort of indicate pitch while talking. Yeah. So it can give them an understanding too of where they sit. And also what I have found, which is the benefit of it, is that their climaxes, their big moments in the song, really work more for them artistically, musically, because they aren't operating there for the entire song. They're not living at yeah. a 10 for an entire song. Sure. And so when they finally do get to the upper end of the spectrum on those on those more climactic phrases, man, they're ready for it. Because, you know, the voice hasn't been, sort. you know, they've been walking, walking, and all of a sudden it's like, now sprint, you know, and then I they're off. Of. Yeah. You know how so many people say that they don't like musical theater because they think it's ridiculous that people break into song? Right. In modern musical p- theater, you're often not required to break into song. You sneak into no, song. you sneak in. You do. Just like you do. you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's a really important technique for for um, most musicals. Uh, of to, today. To, to, of today, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there, you have to be, I think, as a modern musical theater singer, I know we're tangenting here, but you do have to have some control over speech and singing and where the border of that lives. Yeah, yeah. To be, you know, to be convincing in the style. Well, to tie it up with the bow. Yeah. Mesa di Voce is all about borders. Oh, yes. You know, um, boy, you get, you know, you start to work on this, like, say, with a soprano on the notes uh, E flat, E, F, F sharp, middle C. You're going to be talking about borders a lot. Oh, yes. Because that's, that's a challenging thing to, to um, d- develop dynamic ability in those places where there are sometimes cracks or seams or... Oh, yeah coordinations required between zones of the voice uh, that's also for guys i think a same or male laryng- laryngeas yeah. it's the same you know yeah. uh area of interest you know where that passaggio where i'll hear it even in octave glides with a student if i take an o- a student up on an octave glide from the octave below let's say e3 to e4 i can almost hear immediately how the voice is registered from one note to the next in terms of what's happening on that top note in other words, does that top note suddenly push in, push, you know, you suddenly get this sort of force, sort of uh, what the, uh, I think Seth Riggs used to call pulling chest, right? You sort of get that chest register too, too aggressive up there. Uh, it tells you a little bit about how the voice def- default wants to registrate. So the Messa di Voce can be a way to blend the entire, well, the entire voice. I mean, ultimately, yes. the, the prize of that old bel canto school was that you could do it on every note in your range. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I think today, in today's world, having a good octave at least is a great goal to have. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it doesn't have to be these often. long. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I was please. Gonna, you prompted me to, to talk about how the Mesa de Voce did appear in all these old volumes. And from, from 1700s right up through late 1800s, it was really common for it to be early in the book, often yep. the first exercise, and it was often a twelfth worth of, worth of notes. It went from C to the G, an octave, and a fifth above. above. Mm-hmm. That was really common. So it was obvious that uh, if this is an ideal, that those were the notes to be mastered, P to F to P. And then the, the notes outside of that are, you know, like in a soprano or tenor, are the extremes of range. Yeah. So you may not expect, like, certain kinds of sopranos, will be able to sing a high B soft or loud, but not all of them. But if, if your dramatic soprano 
can diminuendo on a G at the top of the staff, oh. she's going to be in great shape. You know, yes. and, and the same way at the bottom, if if the coloratura can get a really big, full, gutsy sound mm-hmm. on middle C, yep. she's going to be in, in great Just, shape in, in, in terms of her um, potentiality, as long as, you know, she can do all the rest also. And, and there's historical precedents for it. Yep. You know, I would, I, anybody yep. who wants to hear this in action, I always play the clips of Maria Yaritza, the soprano at the beginning of the 20th century who created the role of Ariadne in Ariadne of Naxos, and she sings mm-hmm. her big aria, and she has a big uh, B-flat at the top that's attacked mezzo piano, I mean, very quietly. And it's mm-hmm. in tune, it's beautifully sung, so that the, the idea that a dramatic soprano should not be able to diminish, or any dramatic voice, is, yeah. to me, that doesn't hold with the historical precedent of singing. Right. Right. There should be that, again, in potencia, that, that there should be the ability to have soft in, in potential for everything, mostly, if, if you want to work for balance in the voice. Yeah. So, message yeah. do it if, up. If you want to sing with full force, it'll cost you. you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's where, I mean, it relates back to a lot of the maxims about the voice, such as singing on the principle, not the interest. Right. You know, and and uh, you know, always have something in reserve, and don't force, and you know, your envelope of sounds yes. of of soft to loud will definitely grow if you really attack this exercise. If you yeah. do this exercise consistently, starting, I start. By the way, I start usually in the middle of the voice yeah. and work yeah. my way up and down. Yep, yep. With some lady singer, some you know, higher voices, I should say, sopranos and altos. Sometimes I will start in chest because uh, they don't. Sometimes they they uh, if they're very beginner beginner, they have a concept of loud and soft talking, but they may not ha- yet have a concept of loud and soft, an octave higher. Um, uh, yeah. So sometimes I'll start in chest with them, but usually I start somewhere in the middle, and uh, work both directions. Yeah, it's a good practice. I think to yeah. do it that way. To do it that way. I also Nathan, think that if yeah. you can only do something one way, you're not free. Yes, thank you. You, you yeah. are not free if you can only yeah. do a note. If you can only sing a high note a, a particular way, yeah. you are not free yeah. as a singer. Physically, mm-hmm. you are not free. Mm-hmm. Basta. There's always Punto. something to work toward. You know, right? There, there came a time uh, like I can think of some amazing, successful singers who, you know, they they had. Um, they, they they had certain ways they were stuck. I mean, I think of mm-hmm. I think of uh, Beverly Sills, who had an exquisitely beautiful voice in her prime, and she could do so much with it. But the last third of her career, she could only sing high notes with her head turned a certain direction. Oh, interesting. You know, that's all she the only way every high note. So they would actually block her on stage so that she could turn the right direction to sing the high. C, D, E flat. Mm, interesting. Um, and, I mean, it worked okay for her. Now, her voice was not particularly long-lived, but she had a lot of health challenges and things, too. Mm. So she, she uh, worked her voice very hard, you know, like a lot. It had to sing. She oh, yeah. asked a lot of it through her career. But, um, but, you know, there's many imperfect voices out there that do succeed. But the stronger your ability in this area... Uh, you know, they're really outstanding singers. Although, whether they tell you they practice Messa di Voce or not, 
the, the, the singers that just ravish us had the ability. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's, again, it's a boring exercise, but what it gives you back is, is so rich. And, you know, no less an authority than Mancini, who was writing in the 1700s. I mean, he was a fanboy of this exercise, and he, could, mm -hmm. he said, I could talk about this forever. But he really just saw the benefit of it in so many ways, from the artistic to the physical, um, that he really made it central to his writing. And uh, his, his book, um, I think it's Practical Reflections, was in 1774, published, when he was 60. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he was... He was absolutely on team Messi di Voce. The other um, thing I want to yeah. add to that about who was on the team. So as you went through the 19th century, the treatises on singing got weirder and weirder, like mm -hmm. more dissension. However, yes. almost all of them did agree on having that as an exercise in the system. So you have it in Garcia. You have it in... Lamperti. Um, it's everywhere. Yeah. Lamperti. Marchese, both Lampertis. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a f considered a foundational thing, um, even when they were experimenting with other ideas about singing. Yeah. And I kind of think, okay, you know, they always say, like, uh, if you keep having the same outcome or the same problem in relationships <laughs> or the same kind of failures in life, right. what's, what's the common thread? It's you. Well, <laughs> maybe the... Maybe the common thread with the success of so many of those voice teachers who had weird ideas was the Messa di Voce. Just a thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just saying. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, and the, 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 the music was written to, to um, capitalize on it. You know, and then yes. once you get to the 1860s and then everything became about dramatic histrionics, yeah. those kinds of vocal skills fell out of fashion. Yes. Those abilities fell out of fashion. But and they only stayed was... in the vocal Sorry. methods and tutors for a short yep. time after, and then they yeah. faded away. Yeah, they were like, nope, we're done. Yeah. Uh, and that's a real pity. So it is something yeah. that I think is so important, physically physically speaking, because of what it can give you physically in the voice. So, and, You know, awesome. it's an Italian term, so it yeah. sounds like it's only about classical. But it's essential that modern yeah. musical theater people be able to do yes soft and loud singing because or even a jazz singer my goodness oh, a jazz, jazz singer yeah, needs, sure. needs got to have that kind of dynamic flexibility and variability yeah yeah must must you can create so many beautiful beautiful moments in jazz songs with that well, level of dynamic contrast you talk about how opera changed so that like it became louder and more dramatic towards the end of the 1900s but jazz has preserved uh, mm -hmm. Messa di Voce type effects as a value. So, yes. so like echo phrases and really soft singing mm -hmm. and and malleability yep, yep. of of the texture of the voice is still very much a value in jazz. I mean, the opening phrase of "In a Sentimental Mood" by Duke Ellington is a perfect example of that. What we're talking about. Oh yeah. You know, there, that, there's that rising. In a sentimental have this beautifully oh, yeah. written line that calls out for some kind of messa di voce some kind of dynamic contrast oh, sure yeah, yeah. so yeah <laughs> that's cool so messa di voce yeah. here it is we'll probably have to come back to this camp and check We'd on love the chickens to, but i'm glad we introduced it now and and yeah. got it going because yeah it's uh, you and i i think both feel like it's a really important part of the training 
you know, yeah. that's really useful. Well, and it's going to fall apart. And I think it's, it's the teacher's job to stay hopeful and, and optimistic and, you know, rah, rah, rah with the student. Because it's, right. it, is a, it, is a, it is a hard exercise. It is hard. Yeah. And yeah. it's boring, uh, you know, in certain parts of the voice and ranges, you know. But in the main, in the main it really does mm -hmm. pay dividends when it comes to vocal finesse and style and freedom. Another it's strategy any... I have. Oh, when yeah, I please. introduce it to people, I also tell them, I'll say, if you just do this for two to three minutes every day it will be wonderfully helpful and i think most people feel like they can do almost any exercise for two minutes yeah you know and then you know once they get into it eh, you work on it. <laughs> and then set a timer but I, I do like your idea of you know the, the manifestation of registration through pitch and also through dynamics which is what yeah. the message is it's it's registration through dynamics Beautiful. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Well, we cool. will attack this again and uh, <laughs> look forward to next time, my friend. Amen. All right. Okay. I'll see ya. Have see a good ya. one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and check us out at thevoiceculture.com. Bye for now.